let me just tell you, what you saw was our district youth director who had to shave his beard and his into like they called that a donut cut. Okay, that's not like a style. Don't worry, I'm not showing up next Sunday with that cut because it's like the trendy thing to do. But why he did that was because the students and leaders and churches. There were 12 churches at that camp. 12 churches. Of the 12 churches in that one camp, they gave over 100,000 dollars to speed the light. Come on, somebody. Let me just tell you, that buys, that buys anywhere from two, two and a half to three speed the light vehicles. So they just equipped about three missionaries uh, with vehicles with essential transportation and creative communication. I'm telling you something, God's doing something in this generation. In four camps so far in the North Texas district, there's been over $200,000. And man, I was so proud of our students. They went in, they gave, and they did great. Well, we didn't have a big group that, that went this year. We had a great group that went this year, but they gave and, and, and our leaders gave gave, and man, I, I just was so incredibly proud that they were able to be a part of that camp, and then you saw, I don't know if you could tell, but they were in the team games and stuff, they were on the team that won camp champs, and so uh, Pastor Ben's actually rocking his camp champ shirt, he's so proud of that, and listen, if my friends at Gateway Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas, John Van Pay calling you out on a Sunday morning, you still can't beat me, my friend, all right, because your team, the Orange team, didn't come in first place, so anyway, I just have a little fun with him, texted him on, on uh, Friday that, that we just have a good time, a little, a little competition among my amigos, but uh, it's all good, right? Uh, we're excited about what God has done in our students' life. How many will continue to pray for our students? I believe the next. I believe in investing in the next generation. Listen, the scripture is very clear. Older generation, we're to invest in the new generation. That's a very clear mandate that we have. Whether it's parents to their children, grandparents to grandchildren, or or church family to children. That's why when we have a baby dedication, we say, "Listen, all of you." We're all going to raise. It takes a village to raise these kids, and we're all going to raise, raise them. We're all going to love on them. We're all going to, to in, in pray for them and impact the next generation. Well, this morning we're going to continue our, our series, Infrastructure. February 2013, the U.N. released a document regarding conflict around the world. In it, they gave an overview of how setting up proper infrastructure could help with peace initiatives. In fact, here's some of the highlights of that document. They said over 1.5 billion people around the world live in a community that's affected by war, violence, high levels of crime, and over 526,000 people die each year as a result of violence or conflict. That's approximately one per minute. Armed conflicts wreck lives. They destroy the social fabric within and among communities. It imposes economic burdens on countries that can ill afford them and extinguishes any hope of eliminating poverty for millions of people. Political transitions after regime, regime changes, differences over the conduct and management of political and electoral processes, and management of national, natural resources are examples of issues that may spark violent conflict. 
Reducing the likelihood of violence requires adopting a strategic approach, strengthening local and national institutionalized processes, and the building of dialogue and mediation skills. The UNDP helps countries to establish and strengthen national peace infrastructure, the processes, policies, and institutions that help design, support, and enhance social resilience to violence, conflict, and build sustainable freedom from strife. The UN would describe an infrastructure for peace as a network of interdependent systems, resources, values, and skills that are held by government, civil society, and community institutions that promote dialogue and consultation, prevent conflict, and enable peaceful mediation when violence occurs in a society. So what are they saying? In order for you to have peace, you need to have an infrastructure. That's their whole initiative. The reality is that just as a country needs a solid foundation to be able to deal with conflict, to be able to rebuild from conflict, we need a solid foundation to build our Christian life on. So we're continuing the series Infrastructure, and we're looking at the first half of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And so if you got your notes today or following along on the Bible app, would you uh, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, as we're looking at a real peace infrastructure. It says in verse 11, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles also are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Peace. It's an elusive ideal in our society. Peace missions and agreements uh, typically fail. Uh, Wearsby records that there were approximately 7,500 eternal 
covenants of peace from 1500 B.C. to A.D. 850. None of these covenants lasted longer than two years, even though they were eternal covenants. The only true peace then comes from God. The only eternal covenant that will last is the one made by God and sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So how many believe that Jesus came to bring peace on earth? Peace on earth, right? Okay, I know that's a Christmas phrase. Come on, let's, let's realize that. But if Hallmark can show Christmas movies all through the month of July, then on July 11, 2021, your pastor can say that God came to bring peace on earth. Come on, somebody. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22, Paul is describing Jesus' mission then to bring peace on earth. To bring peace to the world. There are three important words that really will summarize this entire passage of Scripture and and summarize this infrastructure of peace, if you will. The first is separation. Write that in your notes. That's what the Gentiles were. They were separated. They were separated from God. In Ephesians 2.11 it says, Don't forget that you Gentiles were outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises that God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. So it's important for us to look at this and know that the converts in the Ephesian church, in the church at Ephesus were largely Gentiles. They weren't Jews, they were mostly Gentiles. So Paul is writing this to the church at Ephesus and he's saying, hey listen, you guys were a bunch of heathen. You, you were all heathens. You were all outsiders. You, you didn't have no citizenship. And so when God called Abraham, he made this distinction that these are the Jews and these are the Gentiles. Now, this was never meant to be something that was to be gloated about, kind of like I gloated about us beating Gateway and in, in, uh, in Camp Champs. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying that wasn't something that was a reason to gloat or boast. It was so that the Jews could be a blessing and help the Gentiles. The whole purpose of that was so that the Jews would help the Gentiles. God wanted to use the Israelites as a conduit of his revelation, of his goodness to the heathen nations. So it's sad to say that Israel kept this difference nationally and they kept it ritually. But they didn't keep it morally. For this reason, God often had to discipline the Jews. I mean, how many times through scriptures do you see it where God has to discipline the Jews because some king or some judge or some group of people decide that it's okay to do the things that were written in the law, that you know, to not do the things that were written in the law. And so they, they keep on doing the same thing over and over and again until finally he exiles them. And so God disciplines because they would not maintain this spiritual separation and ministry to the nations in the name of the true God. So throughout this passage of Scripture, we see the word without or excluded to describe the Gentiles. The Gentiles were without Christ. Look at verse 12. In those days you were living apart or without Christ. The Ephesians, they worshipped the goddess Diana. They had at best a very limited knowledge of Christ, so they were without 
Christ. Any unsaved person then is living apart from Christ. There's a spiritual separation that's there. They were without citizenship. You were excluded, verse 12, from citizenship among the people of Israel. When God called Abraham, he told him that he would be the father of of what? Just Israel? No, he would be the father of what? Many nations. And one of those nations, the chosen one, was from the lineage of his grandson Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And Israel was God's nation. The Gentiles could enter the nation as a proselyte, but they were not born into the nation. And so they were without citizenship. They were also without covenants. In verse 12, it says, You did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. While the Gentiles were a part of the blessing of Abram in Genesis 12, they were not a part of the covenant. And so the King James Version says they were strangers from the covenants of promise. The Jews considered them aliens. They considered them strangers. They were foreigners to them, and they didn't let them forget about it either. In fact, many of the Pharisees would pray this prayer daily. They would say, oh God, I give thanks that I'm a Jew and not a Gentile. They were also not only without covenants, they were without hope. He said, you lived in this world without hope. Historians tell us that a great cloud of hopelessness covered the ancient world. Philosophies were empty. Traditions were disappearing. Religions were powerless to help men face either life or death. People longed to kind of pierce this veil and and get some message of hope from the other side, but there was none. And so they were dealing with this just cloud of hopelessness in, our, in, in their society. And friends, we're kind of dealing with that in our own society today. That there are people that are without hope. They don't feel like that they have anything to cling to. That they don't feel like that there's anything that, that can give them just a sliver of hope. And that's why God has called us to be the place of hope right here in Sulphur Springs. To bring hope to a lost and dying world. They were also without God. Write that in your notes. It says, you lived in this world without God. It wasn't that the Gentiles didn't know God, but it's that they had refused to honor him. Romans 1.18 says, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks and they began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like and as a result their minds became dark and confused claiming to be wise they instead became utter fools and instead of worshiping the glorious every living God they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles So this is not a story of man starting with many gods and many idols trying to find the one true God. It's a story really that's opposite of decentralization, if you will. We started with the one true God and it morphed into these many different beliefs. And today you have that. You have many different beliefs. You can sit down even with people who call themselves Christians, and you can listen to many different things. In fact, why are we worshiping in many different churches today is because we all have different beliefs. 
Even in the Pentecostal realm, there are people that, that, that different factions within that, that some believe this and some believe that and some believe that and some believe this, and there's just different things. And here's what I want you to know. I believe that God's going to straighten us all out when we get to heaven. And it's okay, but we got to seek the word and we got to trust in him. And so this is where the Gentiles were at. They had, they had you know, sought different things. Ephesus was a place for the goddess, uh, the false goddess Diana, and it was a, a hub for there. And so many of these Ephesian Gentiles had grown up worshiping her, and so they were without the true God. So that brings us to the second word. So they were separated, but... Then there was reconciliation. That's what God did for the Gentiles. In verse 13, it says, But now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought, everybody say this word, peace. He's brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. When in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross and our hostility toward each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him, and now peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. So there's a twofold reconciliation here. You have a reconciliation between the Jews and the Gentiles. Verse 14, he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when he, in his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. For the Jews to be reconciled, the wall had to be broken down. The wall, the distinction, had to be broken down. And that's what Jesus did when he sacrificed his body and died on the cross for our sins. In verse 13 of Galatians 6, or Galatians chapter 3, it says, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung on the tree. Through Christ Jesus... God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. Now, come on, every single person in this room, probably the majority of you are Gentiles. You are not Jewish. You're not Jewish. And there, there may be a few of you who are here. I've had a, you know, a few that have Jewish backgrounds over the years that have been a part of this body and a part of this church. But for the vast majority of us, we're Gentiles. And so we should be thankful and grateful that God gave us the same blessing that he promised to Abraham that we as believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So Christ destroyed the wall that separated us in the law 
right? The law, that was the legal barrier. So now there's no legal barrier. There's nothing that separates us. There's no distinction because he broke, he tore the veil. He ripped the curtain. He allowed us to come into the Holy of Holies. He allowed us to experience his presence. And we were singing the song Tremble this morning and I'm standing on the front row and I can feel the presence of God so thick in this room this morning. It's all because of what Christ did on the cross where he tore the veil, where he made a way so that we can enter into the Holy of Holies. We can enter into His presence. We as Gentiles, we as foreigners, we as aliens, we as strangers can have the same access that He gave the Jews many years ago. Come on, somebody, that's good. So He destroyed the wall that separated us in the law. Romans 10, 12, Jews and Gentiles are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on Him for Everyone, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone, everyone. It's it's not, there's no exclusive club here, my friends. There's no exclusive club here. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When that person who has been a jerk their entire life, who has hurt people over and abused them over and over and over again, when on their deathbed they call on the name of the Lord, guess what? They'll be saved. When that baby who is born and grows up in church and at five years of age in a children's calls on the name of the Lord, guess what? They're saved. Why Hispanic and Asian, there's no distinction. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He has torn down the wall, so there's no distinction between groups anymore. We all can have access to the Father. Oh, that's good. Because the second distinction is between sinners and God. The reconciliation is between sinners together now as one body, Christ reconcile both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. So not only did there need to be a reconciliation of bringing the groups together, but both groups then needed to be reconciled to God because we know the Jews hadn't been living right. Read the Old Testament. We know that they couldn't get it right under the law, so God had to come with a better plan. Need reconciliation then with each other because there was hostility there. He tore down the walls of hostilities. He's broken down those walls of hostility to give us access now to the Father. And so between all of us sinners, all of us sinners and God, guess what? There's reconciliation. Romans 3.22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is everyone who believes. Again, everyone who believes. And this how it says in the New Living Translation, no matter who we are. For everyone. We're one family. One family. He says you are members of God's family. Wearsby writes this. He says through faith in Christ, we enter into God's family and God becomes our father. We are all brothers and sisters in the one family. No matter what racial, national, or physical distinctions we may possess. I love what Russ Taft used to sing, man. One of my favorite albums on Walls of Glass. You're my brother. You're my sister. So take me by the hand. Together we will work until he comes. Come on, somebody. You're my brother, Jeremiah. I know we look 
different. We got, we're different mothers, we're, but we're brothers from different mothers, and it's okay. I know you pray for my mama, and I've prayed for your mama, but you're my brother. Come on, Joey, you're my brother. Lisa, you're my sister. Come on, Missy, you're my sister. Come on, somebody. We're a family. We're a family. We're a family. We're a family. And guess what? It just doesn't stop in this room. But every person who calls on the name of the Lord and is saved, guess what? They're our brother and sister in Christ. And so while we may disagree on some theological principles, guess what? We're one family, and we're going to serve one Lord. There ain't going to be a Hope Family Fellowship heaven, and there ain't going to be a First Baptist heaven. There ain't going to be a Methodist heaven. There's going to be one heaven with one family that's gathered around the throne, that's worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, that's giving God praise 24-7, 365 days a year. We get to worship together. We get to celebrate together. We get to eat the marriage supper of the Lamb together. Why? Because we're one family. Oh, that's good news today, my friends. And not only are we one nation and one family, but we're one temple. Everybody say temple. Verse 20, it says, together we are his house. We are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So in, Jesus, in Genesis, God walked with the people. In Exodus, he decided to dwell with his people. He dwelt in the tabernacle until their sin caused, in 1 Samuel 4, the glory to depart. He dwelt in the temple in 1 Kings 8, but Israel's sin and the glory departed in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 18. God's next dwelling place was the body of Christ. In John 1.14, we see that. But today, where does God dwell? He dwells in the church. Now listen, I believe that God dwells in this meeting place because where two or three are gathered, there he is in the midst of them. When there's something powerful about us joining together in one room, worshiping the God. There, I, I, don't, I don't care where you're, where you're at if you're in in a group with three people and and there's something powerful that comes together when there's three people in a room two or three people in a room and you have the same mind same passion going after God there's something powerful that happens when you're in a room that's filled with people that come on a Sunday morning worshiping together there's something powerful that happens we join our hearts and our spirits together but God God's not dwelling just in a church facility not a building but he's dwelling in his church his people. We are then united as one nation and one family to become one temple that the Holy Spirit dwells in. So 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, we, when you, you give it, one of the scriptures that we quote says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord and God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So when, you, when you're saying, I believe Jesus, you are Lord, you're giving him lordship over your life. And so when you give yourself, give, 
him lordship over your life, guess what happens? You do not belong to yourself any longer. You don't belong to yourself. Why? You belong to God. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God then with your body. Why? Because he's the t- you, that, your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit. So everywhere you go, you are a walking church. You're a walking temple. You're walking building a house where God is dwelling within you. So we are one nation, one family, one temple serving the Lord. So we're to take this message then of reconciliation and unification to those that are separated. That's the whole purpose. How are we going to bring peace? How is Jesus going to bring peace on earth? It's his temple, his family, his nation, bringing this message of reconciliation and unification to those that are separated from him. Church, listen, I'm grateful for this incredible facility that we're in today. I can't, again, I can't tell you how many times this week I've walked around and just said, thank you, Jesus, for this wonderful place to meet. I know some of you who have been sitting in, 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 uh, in folding chairs, you're grateful to have a little pad on your seat. As I've said all, all the last nine weeks, I take my own pad with me. And, and some of you don't have the blessing of the Lord like I do on my backside. But listen, I know you're, I know you're grateful to be sitting in a little bit more comfortable seat. And my daughter's covering her face with her hair this morning. She's embarrassed by what daddy just said. I mean, I, I, I know you're excited. Now, for those of you that are on the back row, let me give you a pro tip. Pro tip, the more comfortable chairs are up on the front row. We, we right now, it's until our new chairs come in, you, if you want the real comfortable ones, you gotta you gotta move up into the spit zone, okay? And so that that's 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 just a pro tip there. But I know you're excited to worship back at home. However, the church was never a building. It's the people who are the temple of the Lord, giving hope to those without Christ, giving hope to those without citizenship, to giving hope to those who are without Christ, without hope, and without God. This is the foundation. This is the infrastructure for peace. It's us bringing hope to the lost and the dying world to truly give peace on earth. Come on, would you stand with me this morning and give God praise in this place today? God, we thank you today for your word. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path today. God, we acknowledge you. We acknowledge you this morning. God, we, we, we acknowledge that you're the giver of peace. And Lord, this morning I ask that you would speak to every heart and transform lives in this place. If you're in this room this morning and you are watching online today, and you're away from God this morning. In a moment, I'm going to count to three. If you're in the room and you'd say, Pastor, that's me. I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want you to lift your hand. When I say three, if you're online this morning, I want you to let Pastor Ben know through a private message if if that's what you're comfortable with, or if you want to put it in the comments there, if you want to send an email to prayer at hopefamily.tv, let us know that you're making this decision for Christ today. We're all going to pray a prayer in just a moment here. But if you're here today and you would just say, Pastor, I am away from God. I'm separated from Him. I know right now, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if I were to die, I would not spend eternity with Him. Let me tell you, He came so that you could be reconciled to him so that you can not only be reconciled to him but reconciled to the family of God so that you could be one nation with us you could be one family with us you could be one temple with us where the spirit of God dwells in today 
If that's you this morning, you know that you've fallen short of the glory of God. You understand that the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And you're ready to confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord. And that God raised him, God raised Jesus from the dead. I believe you'll be saved this morning. When I count to three this morning, if that's you in this room, or if you're watching online, would you respond today? If that's you this morning, come on. Friend, today's the day of salvation for you. One, two, three. Anyone in this room, anyone online today, come on, would you pray this prayer with me today? Everybody in the room, would you repeat it? And those of you watching online today, would you repeat this after me? Would you say, dear Jesus, I ask you to come in my heart. Be the Lord of my life. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died, rose again. You're the Lord of all. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for setting me free. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to know this morning that I believe that God cares for you. If you responded again today online, would you please reach out to our team? They're ready to pray with you today. If you didn't want to raise your hand and you're in the room today, if you want to talk to me after service this morning, I would be happy to conversate, have a conversation with you because I believe that God wants to do something special in your life. This morning, if you're here, I believe the Lord cares for you. As we were singing this morning, I just... I just sense the Lord today saying that there are people in this room that need healing. So as our team comes this morning, if you need prayer for anything, Sash and I want to pray with you. But specifically, those of you today that need healing, I believe God wants to touch bodies and heal you today. If you're watching online, again, comment, send an email. Our team will be ready to pray with you. But for those in the house this morning, would you respond today? Would you respond this morning? As Tisha begins to lead us in this song this morning, if you need healing, would you meet Sasha and I at this altar this morning and allow us to pray the prayer of faith with you today? Come on, as she begins to sing. Oh. Mm-hmm. 
if you need prayer today for anything, we're here. We want to pray with you this morning. God, we thank you, Jesus, for
Father, we thank you this morning that you're good to us. God, we thank you today that you see what we're going through. You, you understand. You're touched by what we're dealing with in our lives. And I pray, God, for those that are online today that got needs, maybe they're watching this a few days later. God, would you minister to them? Would you touch their heart, touch their body, touch their mind in Christ Jesus?